By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, and welcome to Voices. This is me, Cynthia Chaplin, and today I'm very pleased to welcome Hermione Ireland to Voices. Hermione joins us from London, where she's the Managing Director of Academy Duvin Library. She's an experienced sales and marketing director with social media marketing expertise and a proven track record of reaching all kinds of niche audiences. So I'm very glad to have Hermione here. I met her a few weeks ago in London at Italy on a Vini Italy uh, roadshow event. So very nice to have you with us today. Thank you for giving us your time. You're very welcome, Cynthia. It's lovely to be joining you. Thanks for asking me. Well, let's talk a minute for about Academy Duvan Library. The company was started by Stephen Spurrier, who, of course, is very famous for his Judgment of Paris wine competition uh, that became a famous movie of Bottle Shock which he started in the 1970s. And we saw California wine beat a French wine in a blind tasting. And L'Académie du Vin began as a series of informal courses that combined sort of amazing wines, expert teaching in a very genial, jovial, relaxed atmosphere, talking about, you know, an important and serious subject matter, but without, you know, making it dull and boring. So absolutely. Yeah. How did those Academy classes that Stephen started turn into Academy Duvin Library? So he started writing some books basically to to help his students to to go along with the courses. So he wrote one which was a, a whole wine course. It was the essence of his wine um, of the classes that put into a book, but based partly on a, on an existing French book as well. So he did work with a couple of um, key French uh, wine educators. Um, so he published three or four books. He he was mostly focused on French wine, of course, because that was mostly what people were talking about. And to be fair, he was in Paris. Um, and so he, he'd published under um, the Academy Duvin Library back then, and then it had gone away again. Um, the Academy Duvin itself has been resurrected. Stephen resurrected it with Mark Nadeau in Toronto, particularly. They were looking at courses in London, and they were just about to start courses when COVID happened. And then, obviously, sadly, Stephen left us. Um, but he had also, before that, he had was having lunch with Hugh Johnson um, and Ben Halkins, and they all used to went to school together a long time ago, and they were 
talking about these wonderful old wine books. They weren't thinking of their own books at that point, you know, wine classics. And what a shame it was that they were no longer in print. And um, they said, well, we need to do something about this. And so Stephen thought he would resurrect the Academy du Vin Library um, and reached out to Simon McMurtry, who has been our, our founder and our chairman for the last three and a half years. Um, he's the WSET um, trustee chairman, and he also used to run Lathwaite's, but he's also a publisher. So that's how we came to be. Things have evolved quite a bit since then, but that that was basically the germ of the idea in uh, 2018. Which which 2018, of course, is you know just a few minutes ago in yes. in terms of um, wine writing time. It, so it's interesting that Academy du Vin Library hasn't been going for all that long, but as you said, the seed of the idea started back in the 70s, um, and. And I, I love these wonderful, um, you know, very British, but also very old school wine things of, oh, just having lunch with Hugh Johnson. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because, of course, the, the authors on your list are very starry, you know, including Hugh Johnson and Oz Clark and Andrew Jefford and people like that. So Stephen was obviously friends with many of these people. But what was the philosophy behind this particular book list, um, aside from the fact of resurrecting books that were not in print? But, you know, this stable of authors, this book list, how are you balancing out traditional wine writing with modern wine writing, you know, traditional topics, modern topics, uh, renowned wine writers versus unknown writers. How are you addressing all these subjects now? You've only been going for five years. What's happening? Well, it's a, it's a very good question. And, you know, it's something that we, we wrestles too strong a word that we, you know, we discuss on a regular basis. The reality is that actually we diverged quite quickly from um, Stephen and Hugh's original idea. I mean, yes, we launched with Michael Broadbent's Wine Tasting, but we did that because it's a seminal book on learning about tasting wine. And he was the man who formalized basically wine education. And yes, we republished the story of wine, which is, again, Hugh's seminal book. You know, Hugh has written quite a lot of books. And obviously, the the Atlas, which is published by um, Octopus, is a wonderful reference work. But the story of wine, I think, is one of the most important books in the wine canon, and, and also have appealed to um, a lot of people who are interested in history. But I think it, we have quite quickly started to publish new books that haven't been published before. Fiona Morrison's wonderful 10 Great Wine Wine families. She actually wrote in Flemish, but it had only been published the year or so before. So we published that for the first time. Ben's Ben Hawkins Sherry is brand new. Andrew Jeffords Drinking with the Valkyries, which we've just published, and is the book I, I just I absolutely adore it. Is a collection of writings he has written in Decanter and World of Fine Wine and Noble Rot over the last um, ten or so years. But he's updated all of them, and it's not none of this has existed in a book format before. So what our, our philosophy basically is is to publish wonderful wine writing and tell stories about winemakers, wines, wine regions. And I suppose it's important to us, therefore, that we're, we are working with people who are very good writers. They don't have to be established, but by definition, it's hard to know how good somebody is as a wine writer until they've got some writing chops on them. So, you know, have they written another book or are they writing in in, um, in print or possibly digital already? So I think we, so we, we have these wonderful anthologies that are the brainchild of our editorial director, Susan Keevil. So we've done three so far on Bordeaux, um, on California, on Champagne, and we do Burgundy this October. We, we will carry on with more. And that's a wonderful, those books are a wonderful place for us to try perhaps some slightly younger authors who haven't got as much publishing background already 
I mean, we, we, they are full of excerpts and pieces sometimes by people who are, you know, are, are no longer with us. So there's a piece from Evelyn War in On Champagne, for instance, but there are also lots of pieces commissioned from new writers. I mean, On California was full of, because so many of the California wine writers are, are women, which is wonderful. So more than 50% of the writers in, in that book are, are female. I'm very keen and conscious to going forward to try and um, commission more books from younger, less established writers, people from all sorts of different backgrounds, different types of people. But it's definitely true to say that we we started with some of the classics. And, and we had to have Stephen's own biography on the list. And frankly, it needed re-editing. It had only been published a year or two before. So yes, we've got Stephen and Oz and Ben um, but I hope we will be publishing the wine writers of the future, you know, the, the, the next generation's Hugh Johnson, um, whoever that may be, you know, it, as long as they are good wine writers. I mean, in terms of modern subjects, we've talked about looking at natural wine and biodynamism. We'll get to them. We can only publish two or three books a year. It, you know, it takes a lot of work. So we, we have to, it's always about juggling commercial you know, choices, really, I think. I completely agree with that. There's, you know, there's a lot happening in wine, which is why those of us who work in the sector love it so much. We never get bored. Uh, there are these classic writers, but there are new themes, as you said, natural wine, biodynamic wine, wine being made in amphora, all of these sorts of things are going to be hot topics and in some cases already are. So it's nice to know that you're aiming, you know, Academy du Vin Library sounds quite... Um, classic and traditional. So it's nice to know that um, you have a vision for some more modern and younger writers and an appreciation for women writers uh, who I think have been, you know, somewhat overlooked in, in wine writing yeah. uh, with the exception of Jancis Robinson and people like that. But uh, it's nice to know that, that you're hoping to grow that list and grow that stable of writers to, to make it more welcoming and, and also to give your readers more interesting and, and, you know, new material as well as the classic standards that we all need to start our wine career with. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, the Academy is interesting to me because it's clearly more than just a publishing company. You know, your mission statement for the company is to build a community of like-minded winos. I love that. <laughs> Who can exchange news and views and keep up with the latest developments in the wine industry and participate in exciting wine tasting events around the world. So I'm wondering what else does the Academy du Vin Library do? What sorts of activities are you providing? Who are your clients? Who are your followers? Um, you know, as, as we kind of have alluded to, you know, there are these classic writers in your stable who are, for want of a better word, a little elderly at this point. So, you know, what's happening now with clients and followers? What activities are you doing? How are you going forward? Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Now, back to the show. 
so it, you know, my background is publishing, but I very much feel having joined the Academy Demand Library, I wasn't there at the beginning, that I am much more immersed in the wine world, um, the wine industry, the wine trade than the publishing industry. Um, and I love it. I mean, my goodness, what a welcoming group of people you all are. We, of course, we, so the first book came out in 2019. I didn't join until 2020. So they had quite a few events that year. Um, they had Sherry, Wine Tasting, um, 10 Great Wine Families, and Invino Veritas. But what, by the time I joined, we were already in lockdown. So we partner a lot with wine schools around the world. The, the Napa Valley Wine Academy is our is our biggest um, single partner. We love them. We did lots of wonderful webinars. We had 700 people, I think, join for the first one that we did with Hugh Johnson. And in the UK, we do that sort of thing with the Wine Society as well, for instance. And while webinars have obviously slightly um, dissipated since we all go out and you know, meet people. Actually, there's still a fabulous way of meeting, of getting to people all over the world who don't have to be, you know, in London, for instance, and they don't cost anything for the attendees, and they're they're just convenient. So we we've done a lot of webinars. We'll continue to do those. I mean, I think in terms of the community, so we have an online magazine called Venocity, and that is really back to your previous question as well. That's one of the places where we're we're really able to give a platform for young wine writers. But that's also where we're able to surface to create content that is topical timely you know it takes a year to put a book together so by definition you're not necessarily going to be talking about up-to-date news in your books but our magazine does that for us so we try what we want to be is a place of, for really high quality content even if it's not all in book format so we're, we're going to start doing wine courses this year uh, which I'm really excited about it's basically re-establishing actually the Academy du Vin so I'm working with the same courses as Mark Meadow is offering in Canada and his part of the business is the Academy du so we will do more events. We did a fabulous launch last um, summer for Hughes Memoirs um, at the Vintners and we had a wine tasting and he was in conversation with Margaret Rand. That was lovely. We will continue to do different types of events, um, whether they're wine tastings or lectures and you know discussions and it's not easy most of our authors are in the UK so by definition if they're international if we're working with people internationally they might be digital but Hugh's actually going to be in UC Davis um, in two weeks time and he's doing a wonderful event there with Warren Winiarski, Elaine Chuck and Brown I think Claire Tooley who's an MW and Kelly White and they're celebrating on California which obviously we, we launched during COVID and that's going to be in person and I think he's also going to do something at the Napa Valley Wine Reserve the next night as well so you know, if if you're listening to this in California, the week of the um, 10th and 11th of March, um, you might be able to see Hugh actually in person. So yes, with, with lots of different things going on, I would say, and it's wonderful to be able to meet our audience in person. I love that more than anything. That's that's fantastic. I I love I love the crowd that Hugh is going to be with uh, in California. Elaine Chukan Brown is is an you know, a real icon for me. She's been a guest on Voices and she's doing so many interesting things. So I like the fact that having taken Stephen's original idea and having this list of, you know, very traditional authors, you are mixing it up with this very diverse group of people taking it away from England, going to the States, going to other places, I hope in the future. Yeah. And it is, it is tough, you know, it's definitely tough, but I think you know, we did get used to having online things. People are very happy to drink wine in their pajamas uh, when no one can see them on the camera <laughs> and, and learn wine. I, I certainly am, you know, teach and learn in a way that's very accessible to people in other time zones, people who are a little bit less, you know, advantaged and, and don't have to pay all of this money to travel and to stay in various places to get the same 
knowledge. I mean, we are opening up a longer wine table by, by doing these things. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that about Academy du Vin. And I know, you know, as you alluded to, your, your connection to wine is, is not a tiny one. You've got a WSET Level 3 award in wines. So how has your own interest in wine driven your work with Academy du Vin Library? You were a publisher before for many, many years. You've been in the industry. Um, how did your love for wine get you to here? And what are you doing with it in terms of Academy du Vin and, and driving it forward? So I'd always loved wine because why wouldn't you? And my father, you know, gave me nice wine, not fabulous wine, but nice wine growing up. And I always appreciated it, but I didn't ever know anything about it properly. I'd never done any formal training. I did publish some other wine books. I was at Dorling Kindersley for quite a long time as a marketing director. And we published Robert Parker's large books. Um, I worked with people like Robert Joseph and Tom Stevenson. But as you you were alluding to in the introduction, you know, actually at Dorling Kindersley, DK, it was all about niche passion areas, which is, had always been the thing that interested me. So when I was uh, uh, approached for this job, the so that you know the pitch was um, it's the job is to run a small wine book company and you know I'd always worked as in a big publisher I'd had senior roles but I wasn't running them I had no ambition or expectation of running one of the big big publishing companies so the idea of working with a small dedicated team of people in the area of wine I mean if they'd asked me to do the same thing about gardening I I would have been much much less excited so but it meant I had to sort of I had to build my wine sort of knowledge get my wine chops sort of you know developed quite quickly because I didn't want to feel like a complete idiot I was going to be tasting amazing wines and you know working with lots and lots of people all over the industry so I did the level two in lockdown which I enjoyed but found quite hard I was I got to this age where I used to think I had a very good palate but I was increasingly I couldn't actually identify half the time what I was tasting I knew I knew it but I couldn't quite pinpoint it and my 16 year old son at the time he was 16 has a very good palate and is interested in food and wine and I kept on handing him the glass and saying what does this smell like and that sort of got me through I did the level three in the classroom at um, at, the, at Bermondsey at the, sort of the headquarters and I just loved it being in a room with people where you you're ta- tasting and testing each other and you know checking what have you got and you know what have you got from that um, I absolutely loved it. And it's it just basically what sort of ignited a desire to know more and more. So once my son's gone off to university in September, I'm planning on starting the diploma, which I'm nervous about because, you know, I got distinction in the last two and I worked hard, but it's, the diploma is a much bigger kettle of fish. And I worry about my memory, not remembering anything. I mean, that's the hardest thing about wine, I think, is just, just, just the, the huge size of, of the world of wine. So uh, you know, I, I mean, I am not one. I'm not one of the wine experts in the business. Um, both uh, Susan, our editorial director, and Yonggi, who is our head of marketing, um, she used to work at Liberty. They're both diploma hold diplomas. They know a lot more about wine than me. But I'm I'm a very very eager learner, and and I think doing some more formal education around that will it just helps with my confidence. Really, it makes me feel like I. I pay more attention and I, I feel more equipped to, to work with and talk to all the amazing wine people that I do. But I don't know how much it, it drives what I'm doing other than I, I, you know, I want to be good enough for the Academy Devant Library, I suppose. I want to keep up with it. I think it's an important story to tell as well because the world of wine does have space for people who are learning 
you know, at a different stage in their life, a different stage in their career. I've raised six children. I I continue to learn. My children have all grown up and gone to university. And I, I understand that moment of when you suddenly have a bit more time to yourself. It's a big lie because believe me, your son will come right back home. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. It's one of the few um, professions in the world, and we don't talk about this very often, that that doesn't shut people out, you know, when they're at a different stage in their career, it actually welcomes you in, you have more time to study than someone who's 24, 25, and, you know, needs to make a living as a, you know, working on the floor as a psalm or doing whatever they're doing. So I think there's a there's a golden aspect to being able to really immerse yourself in wine knowledge and wine learning. And of course, we all need books, which is where the Academy Duvin comes in. But taking on a learning role and holding it hand in hand with your publishing role is, you know, really fascinating. And I think it's inspiring. There are a lot of women coming back into the workforce who are, you know, of a certain age, their children have left home or, or whatever, maybe they never had children, they worked very hard, and now have time for their passion. And I think the fact that wine makes space for those people is something we need to talk about a lot more than we do. So I'm, I'm excited for you and I wish you well with your diploma. Oh, thank you. But it, it, it's interesting because we, we've been doing a lot with, um, with Academy Duvin, which some of our listeners may know about, but in case they don't, Italian Wine Podcast is currently enjoying a really fun series on Tuesdays. Uh, where my colleague and friend Mark Millen has been interviewing some of your famous wine authors for his Food, Wine, and Travel podcast. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, from your marketing expert point of view, how do you see the potential of podcasts for promoting books? And what do you think the future of you know actual print book sales will look like? I mean, I think, to me, um, podcasts are one of the, you know, the three or four, um, basically, um, press routes you know media routes to to a consumer audience i think um podcasts are fabulous because you know whether they're short sort of 15 20 minutes or they're long they're two or three hours you've got people who are willing to to engage they choose to engage with this content so they are they're a maximum concentration you know if you're if you've got an interview or a review in a newspaper you've got people skimming through the pages and maybe they're not very you know you, you're you're capturing a small percentage of the people who've actually got the newspaper i mean with even with wine magazines you know maybe they just want to have the wine magazines for the reviews but podcasts are these wonderful concentrated folk focused conversations um so i think and as it happens as i mean mark has done the most beautiful job my authors are fabulous i cannot tell you how privileged and lucky i feel to work with these people i mean they're very nice people they write very good books but you put them in front of a microphone and oh my goodness they you know these are, writers are often shy retiring people that doesn't i don't think that applies to wine wine writers even andrew jefford who is a, a retiring gentleman he's the most beautiful speaker so you know this the, this series of these wonderful these six wonderful podcasts you're getting to hear these people in a you know a different way from reading their books um i mean i think in terms so from a marketing perspective working with with organizations as impressive as italian wine podcasts i mean you you guys have you know one of the most listened to wine podcasts in the world so for me as a small publisher with a tiny marketing budget um working with partners like you is is absolutely essential the more times i can um, get the message out about my books the better you know the, there was a marketing adage that um pre-digital that you needed to tell people give people a message six times about a product or a service in order to get them to seriously consider you know 
purchasing. These days, in the digital world where we are bombarded with content all the time, it's something like 28 times. So, you know, the luxury of being able to, to do a podcast with you where people are spending, you know, half an hour potentially listening and also getting a couple of messages. And we've done a special um, code um, for Mark's podcast. That's fabulous. Um, I think in terms of the future of books. So there have been several things, obviously, that have happened in the last 15 years. There was the rise of ebooks, and everybody predicted the, the, the death of, of print. And that's not what happened. Um, they got to their plateau, they got to their level, and it, and it sat there. So what we now have with ebooks is a format, particularly for people who are heavy readers, particularly if like crime and romance and sci-fi, potentially, where you can buy lots and lots of books very cheaply. And I'm sure there are some wine read book readers who prefer to have digital whether it's from an ecological perspective not carrying stuff around and most of our books exist on as ebooks um and it's it, there's an accessibility element for that because you can you can make the print much larger the more recent um uh change uh, or sort of the growth in the business has been audiobooks now audiobooks saw a massive boom about five years ago so it wasn't covid it wasn't pandemic related um and it's been that's particularly been subjects that men like to listen to. Men apparently like to listen to audiobooks more than women, and I don't know if that's true for podcasts as well. So, um, they so wine is a good area for audiobooks. We've only recorded two so far. We're in the middle of recording our third one. They're a lot more expensive to produce than ebooks, but um, so I think you know, a pot, talking about things on a podcast, clearly the kind of the people who are listening to us right now or to, to Mark's podcast on Tuesdays are big fans of, of audio format. So I would hope that they might want to listen to Hugh's Story of Wine or Stephen's uh, biography. Um, the next one that we've got coming out is, I think it's the Bordeaux Club, but my plan is to work through quite a lot. I know Andrew wants to record his own book in the next year. Um Print books are doing pretty well. You know, we had a very good autumn. Um, I think the retail, uh, what's the word, landscape has obviously been changing. Amazon has become a massive beast. Um, they did very, very well in, in COVID, not surprisingly. But I think the bricks and mortar stores, I, I, I'm less sure about what's happening at Barnes & Noble in the US. But I think Waterstones is, is not going anywhere anytime soon. Our books are available there and, and in Barnes & Noble. Um, so I urge people to, if they like print, keep buying them if you can from the high street. Don't give all of your sales to Amazon. And that's me putting my pinning my colours to the mast. But I, I think it's really important to support and and support your independence if you can as well. Well, I think the the name of your company lends itself to that philosophy. You know, Academy Duvent Library, uh, which you know brings to mind um, you know a space where where people can collect books. Um, refer to them, you know, I certainly and, and many of my colleagues and, and friends in wine, we all have wine books. I know I listen to wine podcasts as well, and I'm sure I will um, check out the audio books that you're producing. I just made a note to myself here on my on my little trusty notepad. But um, I think that concept of library is a nice word to keep in the title of your company because it does remind people of the benefit of having a print book that can be referred to, that you can annotate um, and go back to again and again. So it's a it's a good balance of 
I, you know, having many, many different options, um, eBooks. I have a Kindle, of course, you know, I read late at night with a light on my Kindle that doesn't disturb my husband while he's sleeping. Um, audio books and podcasts are definitely a big part of my life. And thank you very much for saying that podcasts provide focused conversations. I think that was a wonderful comment. <laughs> I'm going to get that printed on a t-shirt, but, uh, print, Print books, I do think, you know, they're very nice things to also pass on to um, one's students or one's children or, or families and friends to be able to hand someone a book and say, you know, this book meant something to me is um, important. And I think probably something for the ages. So, you know, I I work with my company here and edit books. We've just published a couple of books that I've been part of. So I am in favor of print books. And, and all of the things that are sort of satellites around print books. So it's nice to hear that, um, you know, with you at the helm, Academy Duvin is going to, you know, not run away from that traditional library aspect of an actual print book you can hold, but also include um, those people who don't have time or don't have money. Books are expensive. Yeah. You know, people can access your material on audiobooks and, and ebooks and um, hopefully more podcasts like Mark's and mine. So thank you so much, Hermione. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. It was really great to chat with you. And thank you for explaining everything that Academy Duvan Library is doing. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely talking to you today. Thank you for listening, and remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.